Well, friends, if uh, you've not been with us, this is the final sermon in our series, Scripture Stories. And uh, even if you hadn't been here for the others, you can always catch up with those on our website or um, on iTunes and subscribe to our podcast and follow that that way. But today's story um, is another one where we see Scripture intersect life in such a way that we should all go, wow, this is why I need to be daily reading the Bible. This is why I need to allow God to speak to me through Scripture like this. So we've had Lainey Hegberg, and we've had Kathy Bateman, and uh, then Jody Stauffer speak to us. And all of them, in one way or the other, faith was a key component in that, taking God at His Word. And you're going to hear that again today in a little different way from Mark Pomeroy. And I want to invite Mark and Karen to join me on stage. Would you give them a hand as they come up? Now, Mark is a missionary with Christ for the City International. We might think missionaries go somewhere else, but he's a missionary right here. And so uh, Mark is a missionary right here for Christ for the City International. And Karen has just recently retired from being a nurse with LPS. And uh, so I even had to ask Mark the other day, so tell me how that's going, helping Karen be retired. Maybe that's a question for another time or something like that, right? Yeah. It's good, she says. But uh, we do have our scripture memory verse of the month, and uh, we're going to put that on the screen there. Archer will get it up for us in a second, and it's on your outline as well. And I want you to say that with me from our uh, first sermon of the month. Let's say it together. Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. Would you pray with me? God, our Father, as we come before you this morning and we think about who you are and what you have done and how you love us, we're humbled. We think about who we are and what we've done and that you still love us. And God, I'm thankful for my brother Mark and my sister Karen and Mark's willingness to share his story about your plan for his life as we see how that parallels Joseph in the Bible and the truth that we can all learn that is timeless. We ask that you speak to us now. In Jesus' name, amen. So you might look at Mark and you say, okay, he's a guy that's a missionary right here in Lincoln. Um, What does his story have to do with Joseph's story? I mean, Joseph was like, you know, number two in the whole land of Egypt for a while. And I, I asked Mark, Mark, are you secretly like a vice president of a company and we don't know about that? No, nope. <laughs> no, he's not. All right. So uh, that part doesn't parallel. But what we will see is it's a great example of patterns and events and how we can see God's hand at work through those things. How God uses the things in our life to shape us for his purpose, but also get us where he needs us to be. And the lessons and the core values that we gain in our life because of the experience in our life. And how God has wired us, was Mark's phrase, for a unique destiny. I love that. We'll touch on that later. And it brings our life into focus. So it's when I take my life and Scripture alongside of it, then God speaks more clearly to me about my life and who I am and who He desires me to be. And if you know Mark, you know studying God's Word and teaching God's Word... Making disciples and multiplying disciples is his heart. I mean, this is who this guy is. And he's a member of our church. So if you don't know him before now, maybe you need to get to know him is what I'm telling you. 
But the most important thing Mark said, and we're going to come back to this at the end of the outline too, because it's key for your story, it's key for all of us, is who do I need to forgive in order to experience God's blessings, His love and His grace? So, friends, if you've got your Bibles there, and if, uh, I'm sorry, I forgot to tell you to open to Genesis chapter 37, but it's on your outline, so hopefully you saw that already. And we're going to walk through a handful of scriptures in the life of Joseph, and we'll read those and make some comment on those, but then Mark's going to share his story and teach us as we see God's story in Joseph's life and God's story in Mark's life. So, Genesis chapter 37, verse 3 through 8, we're picking up the story here of Joseph. Now remember, there was Abraham, the father of the nation of Israel. Then he had his son Isaac. Then he had his son Jacob. And then Jacob had these sons, and uh, there was a mess of them, right? And uh, all these guys, the 12 tribes of Israel is what they would become because Jacob's name was changed to Israel. But we pick up the story of his son Joseph, the second to youngest and especially beloved. His brothers didn't necessarily like that. We'll see here why. And so Genesis 37.3. Now Israel loved Joseph, so Israel is Jacob, his dad, more than any of his other sons, because he had been born to him in an old age, and he made him a richly ornamented robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him, and they could not speak a kind word to him. So that's bad enough, but look where it goes next. Verse 5. Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. Verse 6, he said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain in the field, and when suddenly my sheaf rose up and stood upright, while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it, his brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more. Third time that phrase is used because of his dream and what he had said. I need to turn to you, Mark, and ask you to tell us some of your story now. Um, Yeah, so talk to us, uh, getting us, well, I'll let you just take it from here. All right. Um, Anyway, thank you. Uh, This is really cool. Uh, Starting out with my dad, uh, my dad was an extrovert, uh, total opposite of myself. I'm an introvert. Uh, He would wear these crazy costumes on Halloween. Uh, He was a World War II vet. Uh, I would be waking up Sunday morning hearing Dixieland jazz or Glenn Miller jazz. What, you know, I'm trying to get some sleep, and it was kind of irritating um, at that time. Um, and I kept hearing from my dad, children are to be heard but not seen. As being the oldest in the family, I was supposed to set the example, and I hated it. Uh, dad was a great dad. We had some great memories. I remember we'd be walking two or three miles to church, and he'd be throwing out coins ahead, and, oh, look at that quarter down there, and I said, Dad, you threw that down there, and uh, he, w- he was a lot of, a lot of fun. We- then we'd have some root beer, um, and uh, sometimes my mom would pick us up because we didn't make it all the way, but it was a long uh, distance. Um, one of the things when I got into high school, he said, Mark, you need to become more outgoing, and so he would pay me to read books like how to win friends and influence people, and I didn't really want to read it. There were some other things I'd rather read. And my grandfather, who, my dad's dad, he was kind of performance-oriented too. I I guess he would pay me $10 for each A that I would get. And uh, I I guess that had some motivation. But as I look at Joseph's life, I'm sure he felt kind of conditional love to kind of rule over, over his brother's. 
and, uh, and felt this pressure to fulfill the dream. And what I'd like for you to do, jo- Joseph's story not only affects my life, but affects your life. And I'd like you to take about a minute on your sheet and answer this question. When have I felt the pressure to perform? So just take some moments and jot some eyes. We'll give you about 60 seconds. That's on your outline right there in front of you. When have I felt the pressure to perform? So you heard from Mark's life that he had a good relationship with his father and his grandfather, yet they had expectations for him that didn't necessarily match up with his personality and his desires for himself. Let's go on to Genesis chapter 37, still in chapter 37, but verse 28, just this one verse, and see what happened here. His brothers, since the last verses we read, decided um, they wanted to kill him, leave him for dead in a hole in the desert, and fake it for his dad. But then they saw some Midianites come along, another tribe, and they thought, shoot, rather than kill him, let's make some money off the dude. Let's sell him as a slave. That way we'll get rid of him because they'll carry him to a far-off land. We'll never see him again, and we'll have some money in our pockets. And that's what you see in verse 28. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern where they'd left him to die and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who turned him, who took him to Egypt. Um, so Mark, I'm really wondering how you're going to go from this pit and getting sold into slavery thing. Yeah, take that one away, buddy. You bet. Uh, when I was in seventh grade, um, you know, I was trying to fit in as a middle school kid and trying to look for love. And uh, this classmate said, hey, why don't you get inside this locker? I dare you to get into this locker. And, and, and we I was, can see what happens next, right? <laughs> yeah. I was really short at that time. My last few years in high school, I grew 10 inches. But at one point, I was really small. And I got in this locker, and the guy didn't know the combination. And uh, in the meantime, all these students were gathering around. and said, I wonder who that guy was in the locker. So the shop teacher came out, sawed off the lock. And I never felt so embarrassed. And I remember walking down the hallways, people whispering, did you hear about that guy that got locked in a locker? I was just looking for acceptance at that point and felt rejected. When I was a junior in high school, um, we were attending a congregational church in Des Moines, and I had an atheist for a Sunday school teacher, if you can believe that. Wow. We, we talked about current events. Uh, Donald Call, who is the political columnist for the Des Moines Register, uh, JL knows him. It was 1968, a long time ago, and one of our youth events, he tried to convince us why we should vote for Hubert Humphrey instead of Richard Nixon. That was our youth event. So anyway, I stopped going to church. I figured I could discuss things on my own my senior year. Um, Dad, being kind of, as I mentioned, very colorful character, he was in a fraternity in college. He said, Mark, you ought to pledge a fraternity. And uh, as a dutiful son, I did, and and I hated it. And uh, as I got into it, I got de-pledged from that fraternity and just felt lost. I guess I wasn't wild enough uh, in there. And and so uh, what I'd like, um, there's a good uh, story on the end, but we're going to have you answer this question first. Take about a minute. When have you felt rejected, judged, or deceived? And just jot some items down. So we're walking with Mark through his life. And a moment ago when he said there's a good story on the end, I turned off my mic and just asked him, you mean like at the end of the sermon or right here at the end of this point? 
and then he told me what's coming next. But I'll let him tell you that. Let's turn our eyes back to Scripture. And that's Genesis 39, our next Scripture. Genesis 39, verses 2 through 4. So um, Joseph uh, became a slave, and he uh, goes to work for this dude named Potiphar. And we'll see that here in verse 39. And in verse 1, it, or chapter 39, verse 1, it says he's an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. But look at verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph, and he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw the Lord was with him, and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes, and he became an attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his whole household, and he entrusted uh, to his care everything he owned. So Joseph goes from a slave with nothing, sold by his brothers as a pit, to a guy who is still a slave, but he's in charge of an entire household of a wealthy man in Egypt. And um, Mark's story gets better, too. So Mark, tell us how it gets better. Well, I remember my dad, and we were talking to the house manager in this fraternity, and he felt really bad. And dad said, well, maybe it'll be a blessing in disguise. And I thought, hmm, that's an interesting comment. So I moved into this dorm, you know, and all these guys were, in those days there was a TV set and these guys were playing cards and I started conversation uh, with Bill. And, uh, and so Bill said, yeah, I'll help you get uh, your stereo set up. And he started sharing the gospel with me. And I said, Bill, those stories about Noah's Ark and the parting of the Red Sea, those are fairy tales. You can't take those stories literally because at that point I was between an atheist agnostic and Kind of gave him a hard time, but we became friends and found out he had been a new believer himself. Anyway, um, one of the uh, people there said, you know, we have these meetings where people get together um, and talk about God's word. It's actually meets in a fraternity. And uh, when I heard girls attended these meetings, I decided to check it out. And uh, Karen, well, were you there? No. Oh, not Karen. Other girls. Okay. Yeah. We'll get to Karen later. Yeah, well, Just yeah. checking. Just checking. Anyway, um, what I saw there is I could cut uh, in half the love that I saw in these students. I said, whatever they've got, I want that. And anyway, I heard a guy share the four spiritual laws. It was a campus crusade meeting. And uh, that evening in my dorm room, um, I just said, God, I don't know who you are, but I'm going to give you a try. And I placed my trust in Christ. And immediately there was a retreat, and I went to that retreat, and I remember these people talking about God's Word, and I said, my goodness, I can't even find, you know, these passages. They, they know so much. And, uh, and then got involved in a small group, and a Campus Crusade member says, hey, let's go in Central Campus. I'm going to show you how you can lead people to Christ. Uh, mm-hmm. Really? And uh, so I watched him, and and about everyone he talked to would come to know Christ. Remember, this was Jesus movement era. There was revival going on the college campus. I pray we get to that point again. To, mm-hmm. And it was exciting. He said, you can try. And I, and I did. And we, we saw lots of people. So that kind of mentoring, modeling, uh, made a huge difference. And then just uh, leading people. And then the church that we were going to, uh, one of the guys, he had a car. And he took us, and the pastor there uh, preached verse by verse, and we would study Scripture at home and then discuss it on Wednesday night. And um, I just took notes, and he had an internship with some students, and we learned a lot during that time. And uh, 
And then also, uh, Old Testament walkthrough, where we learn how to connect the dots of God's plan from Genesis to Revelation. As you look at Joseph's life, you know, he prospered in Potiphar's house and found success. And I'd like to, I guess the one scripture that I really saw God uh, kind of uh, hit, I guess, put into my heart, and I remember sharing this at a fraternity because you would have an opportunity to share your testimony, was Romans 8.28, for uh, <clears throat> God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him are called according to his purpose, and those he foreknew he predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. And realizing that it's a free gift from God, it's not your good works outweighing your bad works, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. So I'd like for you to go to your sheet and answer this question for about a minute. When did God bring good from bad in my life? So as you think through how God has used that verse in your life, many of us know Romans 8, 28 and God working good out of bad. We're going to see another interesting turn in Joseph's life, and you're going to hear one in Mark's life as well. Because where we left Joseph there at the beginning of Genesis 39 is he's back in, or he's in charge of Potiphar's house. Well, Mr. Potiphar saw him and saw God blessed him. Well, Mrs. Potiphar took notice of Joseph as well. Apparently, he was not only uh, blessed by God with the ability to do good things, but he was blessed with good looks. And so she took interest in him and tried to seduce him and even says that she grabbed him by the cloak, the outer garment, uh, and he fleed from her and she still had his cloak. So then she lies and makes it look like he's tried to do something with her. Turn south for Joseph. Genesis 39, verse 20. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. When, but while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him and showed him kindness and granted him favors in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all he was done. And the warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Did you hear what happened there? He goes from being a slave that got promoted to be in charge of the household to being wrongfully accused to being a prisoner, but then he gets put in charge of everything in the prison. So some interesting things happening in Joseph's life. Tell us what happened in your life, Mark. <clears throat> yeah, about the time I was going to graduate from Iowa State in industrial engineering, uh, my parents were going through a divorce, um, and I was a brand, I was, you know, relatively young Christian, and it was really hard. I just didn't understand it, and I uh, had to really uh, seek the Lord and just th to stay sane. And so my first job was working for Rockwell International College Radio in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, and the first week there I met Karen at a college and career fellowship. And, uh, so and, now we get to Karen. Yeah, we right. get to Karen. Good. <laughs> and uh, we uh, actually we didn't actually start dating for until a couple months uh, later. Uh, and uh, I won't go into that whole story, but it was pretty neat. Um, and so we got married in '75, and came back uh, from our honeymoon. And I get news that I'm laid off from my job. Hmm. Um, oh, great. And, uh, and so 
of course, disappointing. And uh, so started applying for jobs and started working for a hydraulic uh, crane company, Harnish Fager, uh, in as a value analyst. And and so, um, and I was teaching a noontime Bible study at this uh, corporation, and and God really worked, especially when. Uh, lunch hours uh, became different, and uh, we had a UAW union in there, and I taught this guy from church basically how to do this uh, Old Testament walkthrough going over the covenants, and literally, uh, there was a revival with these guys, uh, these at work, at work, UAW workers, UAW workers who were welders, and and they were studying God's word, one after another was coming to know Christ through this Joe Bird. Hmm. Uh, and it was just amazing what God was doing. Um, anyway, I lost my job there uh, for whatever reason. And um, I ended up uh, working for uh, Noran, which makes microcomputer. And my boss, and I was leading a Bible study, a similar study. And a couple of the born-again Catholic guys invited my boss. And he was an atheist. And he thought, oh, that's not appropriate for you to doing that. And then he, uh, we had negotiation of contracts, and he wanted me to throw out uh, price so that his drinking buddy could come lower. And I said, that's not ethical. And to make a long story short, I got fired. I remember going home. We had two small children. Guess what? I lost my job. And at the time, uh, I was losing weight. It was so much pressure during that time. It was really a relief. So what, what's next? Uh, interest rates were 17% uh, at that time in the early 80s. We had two small children. Um, and uh, people at church were saying, well, you should get a job at McDonald's. And I, I didn't do that. Uh, but I, during that period of time, I really learned how to network. I never did that before. And I, used, I do a lot of that today. And, and uh, put my name at the Iowa State Placement Office. And I get a call from Omaha, Nebraska uh, to work for a consulting firm, Wells Engineers. So ended up working for there. Uh, and it was a great place. They, they were believers, but they didn't have enough work uh, to keep us going. So Karen was in the nursery, and these two ladies said, you know, there's a guy in Lincoln, Nebraska by the name of Dean Hatfield who led her husbands to Christ. Maybe Mark ought to contact him. And so... I guess both of us were prepared to kind of do something crazy, kind of step out of the corporate world by faith to hmm. be involved in this ministry. So we moved to Lincoln uh, 32 years ago and wow. have been doing various ministries since. So you got Jesus, you got Karen, you got to Nebraska, and then you got to Lincoln. Yeah. And we got a question for everybody else. Is that's uh, The fourth question on your outline is, how have God's promises given me hope? You see, in the midst of all the bad stuff that's happened in Mark's life because of his walk with Jesus and the way he was studying God's Word, he had hope. I mean, that's what you're saying there, right, Mark? Yep. Um, Yep. And that Joseph, in the midst of negative downturns in his life, God put him back in positions of favor. And I would assume Joseph had hope. So think about that for yourself just for a few seconds. How's God giving me hope? Write yourself... Um, some answers there. Your sermon outline's only for you. Nobody else is going to come look at it, but think that through for just a few seconds. So we turn our attention to Genesis 41. And what's happened in Joseph's life is he's been in prison and he met a couple other guys in prison who worked closely with Pharaoh. 
uh, and um, he interpreted dreams for these guys. And those guys are like, dude, when we get to Pharaoh, we're going to tell him about you. You're great, Joseph. Thank you. And they immediately forget about him. But then years later, Pharaoh has this crazy dream that none of his magicians or sorcerers or wise men or whoever could interpret. And then these guys go, oh, there's this guy, Joseph, back in prison. He can interpret dreams like that. And it says that they got him all cleaned up, brought him before Pharaoh the next day. Pharaoh tells the dream and Joseph says, Pharaoh, here's what this means. There's going to be seven years of fat where God's going to bless the land, seven lean years where there's going to be famine. We've got to prepare for that. And Pharaoh, and I think it's a little bit in that line with the scripture of Proverbs 22, 1, that God controls a king's heart like a water course, right? Putting it wherever he went. Pharaoh, in charge of the whole land of Egypt, says, um, I'm going to put Joseph as number two in the entire land. Some of us would think that's crazy. You know, uh, you've got, you don't know this guy. He's a prisoner. Um, but he did it. And he makes him in charge of the entire land of Egypt. And what's happened in uh, Joseph's life is absolutely miraculous and amazing. Now, tell us about your life here. I mean, did it still come out good, or was there more challenges? Uh, yeah. Um, <clears throat> I was uh, started on the college campus and going up in the dorms, and Dean would share the gospel with anyone he talked to, a great model. And, and it, it was scary. And a lot of students, um, and we got a lot of static from uh, some of the administration at different times. And probably in the early 90s, uh, some of you that are older, you remember the televangelist scandals and, and um, you know, people trying to make money. And I remember students saying, how come these guys want to make a lot of money off of the gospel? Well, how come there's so many different denominations? And my heart just broke right at that point. And I can remember almost God's audible voice, probably the only time in my life, I said, uh, I want you to do something about it, God's saying. I said, God, I'm an engineer. You got the wrong guy. Um, Anyway, Karen was in Bible study fellowship at that time, and she met the wife of the dean of the journalism college. Hmm. Uh, I was working with a guy by the name of Ron Waymeyer, who was a student. He was a journalism major. He said, Mark, you ought to take a couple journalism courses, which I did. And, uh, and I introduced myself to Will Norton, who was the dean, and he grew up on the mission field, and uh, we got involved with a Bible study. And he said, Mark, you ought to go for a master's in journalism to kind of develop your writing skills. So uh, I did. So, so from about 90 to 96, which was crazy. And I remember for a short time I had an office back here that the, uh, Southview allowed us to have as I was working on coursework during that time. Um, kind of fast forward to 93, I kept hearing about promise keepers, kind of wondering what that was. And I was a little skeptical, so I took my oldest son, Steve, who was about 14 at the time. We went to Boulder. And uh, I remember Bill McCartney talking about uh, racial reconciliation, crossing racial and denominational lines. I had kind of a spiritual pride thinking that the Bible churches that we had been part of really had a corner on the truth and, and that other people, other denominations, really didn't know what they were talking about. But as I started looking around, hearing him and thinking about John 17 that we might be one as he is one so the world would believe that Jesus Christ is God and then coming back to Lincoln and having men's breakfasts um, including this church during the 90s and seeing men get really excited about their faith and having accountability groups 
um, and seeing that there were good Christians in Catholic churches and even even at uh, Plymouth Congregational Church, I found. that was I had gone to the sister church in Des Moines, my story back. I won't say any more about that. But anyway, God's people are all over the place, and uh, we're not going to see denominations. So founded Real Men of Integrity, um, and... Uh, and I'll tell you uh, the next part, the end of the story. But I want you to think about, you know, Joseph had these dreams, seven years of plenty, seven years of famine, mm-hmm. uh, that propelled him eventually to become Secretary of Agriculture, which, <laughs> which I didn't become Secretary of Agriculture. But God is working in all of our lives yeah. with the story. And I want you to consider this question. When have I worked to enable change? You know, God may be... He's wiring you for unique ministry in your life the way he has. All of us are different. And, you know, pray, listen to the Holy Spirit, and just ask God, what would he have you do next? He's preparing your life just as he did Joseph's life, as he did it in my life. When have I worked to enable change? So uh, take some thought on that question. You're not Mark. He's Mark. You're you. But hopefully you see the parallels um, and how God uses the circumstances of our life. Mark came to Lincoln as a missionary of one type, before long was a missionary of another type, and then founded his own mission organization to bring reconciliation and unity in the body of Christ and promote discipleship among men. So let's come back to Joseph's story in your Bible and fast forward to Genesis 45 if you need to. Uh, turn over in your Bible or uh, your electronic copy. And what you see is that Joseph's family, all the way from way up in Israel, had come down to Egypt because they heard, dude, they got food in Egypt. We don't want our family to starve. We're going to come down here and get some food. But Joseph had a plan to take care of his whole family, including his father. They hadn't brought their father with them. He was old. They hadn't brought the younger brother with them. But Joseph works it in such a way, and you'll need to go back and read that story. I'm trying to save time and summarizing that they'll all come to him so he can take care of all of them. And if you read in Genesis 45, 7 through 8, as is mentioned on your outline, Joseph says, but God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on the earth to save your lives by great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, brothers who sold me into slavery, is who he's speaking to, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, a symbolic language, in charge of the land, lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. So Joseph tells his brothers who he is. And then there's one final scripture. We don't have time to recount the whole story in there, but this one is key. Verse 20. Genesis 50, verse 20, if you turn there. Joseph says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. That even what people intend for harm, God can turn for good. We see it in Joseph's life. Mark, tell us how we saw it in your life. Well, I mentioned my dad and my dad was a great father, um, but he also came to a point, he wanted me to kind of take over his business uh, in sales uh, since we were in the Omaha area, and 
I, I did not feel like God was leading me to do that. And at one point he said, Mark, I think you've wasted your engineering degree, yeah, which made me feel real good. Uh, but later on, um, he became, uh, for a period of time, great supporter, and, uh, but had to forgive him at that point. That was, that was tough. Regarding real men of integrity, we had a guy that wanted to basically do a hostile takeover. He wanted to, we were having more and more men coming to breakfasts, um, and I really felt like it became, for some of us, kind of an ego thing that we needed to stop and really begin to pray. And uh, this one fellow didn't want to do that. And so I was at a funeral. Actually, when I met Karen um, Toms, it was his, his funeral in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, the same weekend, basically, as the Omaha, Oklahoma City bombing. And I come out, all these friends that were close basically said, you're out. And, and uh, we had some pastors that had to reconcile. And that was basically the end of uh, Real Men of Integrity at that point. A um, couple years later, some of you remember Stan in the Gap, and we had these buses, and we went out to Washington, D.C., and this guy who had the hostile takeover, he was in charge of the bus that I was riding in. I said, oh, great, you know, this is really, really good. So Stan the Gap was over, and there was a Nebraska football game on, and so we decided the only place we could go uh, I guess was a bar, and this guy was sitting next to me, and God orchestrated that we had reconciliation between mm. the two of us on that point. It was amazing uh, time, um, and and it really the aspect of forgiveness is just huge, and we see that in Joseph's life from Genesis 42 to 50, how he had to forgive his brothers. And, um, and I'd like to have you uh, consider, I'm going to put these two questions kind of side by side for the sake of time, um, but, the, but the first question is, how has God sovereignly worked in my life? And, and take a few moments, and the second question is, who do you need to forgive in order to experience God's grace and blessings? So take a few moments to do that. How has God's sovereignty worked in my life and who do I need to forgive? So Mark wrote about the lessons he learned um, when he wrote me about this sermon. And that he learned that spiritual Christians, believers in Jesus, are in every congregation, no matter the denomination. He learned that God prioritized unity, uh, as he mentioned in John 17. And he learned about submission to others open ministry opportunities, and that's where God's blessings are. And of course, he learned about forgiveness and God's grace through forgiveness. So Mark, I don't know if you have any other summary thoughts for us before we close and yeah, have a time I, of invitation for people to respond. Yeah, I do have one thing. You know, um, I'm always learning every day, and I'd like to share with you something I learned yesterday. Um, we had a, a Steve Janovec, who I share office space with, and a guy by the name of Ray. We went to Omaha to do some training uh, for this Sudanese church, uh, gospel training. So we went there, and we were meeting at this uh, Presbyterian church where they have office space. And, um, you know, we talked about how they could share the gospel using the three circles, and they did some role-playing. And so then we went out uh, into this apartment complex that has about a third uh, Sudanese in it. And so I had uh, God Co, a young uh, 
guy, uh, Sunnis, and this elder um, who works at a meatpacking. And I had learned from this guy shared with me that, you know, when you pray with people, uh, focus praying God's love over them. Just talk about God, how God loves them so much in every aspect of their life, you know, their financial life, their prayer life, um, I mean, their um, family life, their work life, you know, and I, I pray with people all the time. I thought, you know, I need to really focus in on that. And so this uh, young lady came up, and I was just praying for her um, and shared my story, not as much as I've shared with all of you, but a few bits <laughs> and pieces in 60 seconds, and uh, this young lady trusted Christ right on the spot, God's heart, and I sensed because of praying God's love, it wasn't me speaking, but I had a greater passion, a greater conviction to share God's word and the gospel at that point. Uh, this great big guy we came up to, and he had tattoos on, and I looked up at him, and, and, uh, and he was open. And uh, I believe he would have trusted Christ if, if I had about 60 more seconds. I want to call both of them back this afternoon uh, just to do follow-up. But I guess the thing that uh, I'd like to share with you is that God is out there. He wants us to go outside the four walls. Each of us have a network of people, uh, family, friends, neighborhood. Begin to pray God's love and share your story uh, how God has worked in your life, how he worked in Joseph's life. And you will see God do some great miracles. In fact, this guy uh, was a Sudanese uh, lady, and they were speaking in Newar. They had met each other in the early 80s in refugee camp in Sudan, just happened to run into her in <laughs> Omaha, Nebraska. Is that a coincidence or what? I don't think so. So anyway, that's, I just, all of us have a story. All of us have network. And God is at work outside, and he wants to use us. Amen. God has a plan for our lives. Let's pray together and move to our time of invitation. Our Father in heaven, we come before you, and we're humbled by what we learn from your word, and as Mark and Karen have shared their story. And we pray that uh, even now, folks would respond as you've called them to respond. So, Father, for those who need to trust Christ as their Savior, for those who need to even talk with Mark or Karen about what you've done in their lives and what you may be doing in their lives, God, would you do that even now as we respond to you while we sing? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.